All right, all right. Remain standing with me as we go into today's word. We're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17, beginning at verse 12. We're going to do some reading here today. As we talk about King David, 1 Samuel chapter 17, beginning at verse 12. And if you don't have your Bibles, you can look at our screen and follow along. It says in verse 12, Now David was the son of an Ephraimite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. And Jesse had eight sons. And in Saul's time, he was old and well advanced in years. And Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul into war. The firstborn was Iliad, the second Abinadab, and the third was Shema. Now David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For forty days the Philistines came forward every morning and evening and took their stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit and see how your brothers are and bring back, notice this, bring back an assurance from them. Now they are with Saul and the men of Israel and Eliab fighting against the Philistines. And look at verse 20. And early in the morning, David left the flock, went with the shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. And he reached the camp as the army was going out into battle, taking their, paddle, their battle position, shouting out their war cry. Now I want to jump over to verse 28 because I want you to notice this in verse 28. And when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking, that's David, with the men, he burned with anger at him, and he asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave these few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are, and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. But in verse 29, David said this, Now what have I done? said David. Can I even speak? He turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter, and the men answered him as before. And lastly, let's go to verse 41 to finish this story. And meanwhile, the Philistines, with the shield barrel in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked at David over and saw that he was a young boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. This is Goliath now. And he said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistines cursed David by their gods. Come here, he said, and now give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And notice this now. David said to the Philistines, You come against me with sword and spears and javelins, but I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defined. And this day the Lord will hand you over to me. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you bless this word and help me teach this morning. And let us leave this church, Lord, completely different. I pray that you bless this time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. As we read this passage of Scripture, I want to speak to you this morning on the subject that I've titled Back and Forth. Back and Forth. Say that with me. Back and Forth. Now nudge your neighbor and say, Back and Forth. Does it ever feel like your life is just back and forth? Can you show me your hands today? If you're feeling like your life is just back and forth. I want to teach you how to survive the season of back and forth. Now when you look at King David, David, you don't even have to go to church to know who King David is. You can be a complete atheist and know the story of David and Goliath. 
But see, when you look at David, you think of the great king that defeated the giant. But before David even became king, before David even defeated Goliath, David was a nobody. In fact, David was such a nobody, he came from a small town from Judah named called Bethlehem. So David was just a shepherd out in the field, nothing exciting in his life, nothing to look forward to. And even as that job, as a shepherd, that job was left for the most minimal of people. You didn't desire to be a shepherd. That job was given to you. And it was given usually to people that did not matter. Because shepherding was a very dangerous job. So they gave it to people that if something were to happen and they would be killed, it wouldn't matter. So when you were given the job as shepherd, it meant your life does not mean anything. Now picture this. Now David, who was a nobody, David, whose life meant nothing, David was a small town country boy. And if anyone you would think would ever become something great and wonderful, let me tell you, church, it would not be David. But one day, God tells this very powerful man named Samuel, a prophet of God, Samuel heard God speak and say, go to the town of Bethlehem, to Jesse's house, and I'm going to call you to anoint someone to be king. And Samuel said, okay, um, God, that's, that's fine. Well, I'm going to go over. And Samuel goes to Jesse's house, David's father's house. And Jesse has eight sons. And David is the youngest. And as Samuel goes into Jesse's house, he sees these great looking men. And Samuel sees a man named Eliab and he says, oh, for sure, this is the one God wants because he's tall, he's strong, he's the firstborn, he's handsome, and for sure this is the king, the future king of Israel. And then God said, not that one. And Samuel goes down the line looking for the next king of Israel and no one is found. And even Samuel said, well, do you have any other sons? Because I know I heard God say that in this house was the future king of Israel. And Jesse said, oh, well, yeah, there's David. But he's out in the field. We didn't even call him over because I doubt that this is the David's going to be someone. Because David is just the youngest. David, he's just a shepherd. And, and I doubt he didn't even want to bother you, Samuel, trying to even look at David because he's not even worth looking at. In other words, David was overlooked. And when David comes home from the field and Samuel looks at him, God says, he's the one. The one that was a nobody, the one that was overlooked, was chosen by God for a mighty destiny. And maybe in your life you feel like David. Sometimes the odds are against you. Sometimes you've come from a bad family. Sometimes you've come from rejection. Or maybe you've been overlooked in life. But even though you've been overlooked, God has always seen you. And Samuel, he opens up this horn of oil and he anoints David. Because in scriptures, when you anointed someone with oil, that oil was always symbolic to the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. So when you got oil and you anointed someone, it was always to mean that God was with you. It always meant that God's favor was upon you. That God was on your side. And that God's power was working in you. You were not doing this alone. So as that oil poured all over David, David now knew that God had more for his life. 
David now had a vision. David now had a dream. David knew now with high expectations that this is not the end, that I'm more than just a shepherd, that God has more for my life. You see, that's what God wants you to know this morning. There is more to life than where you're at right now. And God has a plan for your life. And that plans of God that He has for you, it comes with an anointing. It means that it's not you doing it, it is God. And let me give you an example. I'm here on this pulpit preaching out of an anointing because if anyone should be a pastor, it would have been my brother Danny, not me. But God has a plan. But here's what I want you to notice this morning. David now has a vision. How many of you have a vision for your life? No one. Great. Okay. How many of you have a dream? Something. And as David got the anointing, and I was reading this story by myself with excitement, there was one verse that ruined the whole story for me. There was one verse that it's so bad to read that many pastors bypass it. We don't talk about this portion of the story. You know what we talk about when we talk about David? The fact that he was a giant slayer, that God had a call on his life, that he became king, and through him would come Jesus, and God has a mighty destiny. But there's one verse I guarantee you never read. You ready? Because I know some of you right now, you're like excited. Yeah, David. Yeah, God's over. God hasn't overlooked me. God has a plan for my life. Yes, I know. Preach it, Pastor. Preach it. Verse 15. What happened after the anointing? And David went, say it with me, back and forth. David did not become king overnight. David did not defeat Goliath the next day. In fact, right after the anointing, you know what David did? He went back to the sheep. Back and forth. Back and forth. Back and forth. The only difference is he has an anointing in his life. In other words, he knows God is with him. He knows that the favor of God is upon his life. And the power of God is working through him. But he's back and forth. Church, what do you do when your life hits the season of back and forth? What, what do you do when, like David, you know there's an anointing in your life? You know that God is with you. You know that the power of God can work. You know that the favor of God is upon you. But what do you do when you know you're anointed for something, but God has you back and forth? And you're holding on to a dream. You're holding on to a vision. You're holding on to greatness. But God hasn't done anything but put you in a place of back and forth. And you believe God can do better. You believe God's going to change my life. God's going to change this situation. But pastor, it just feels like right now, I'm just back and forth. Can I get a witness this morning? Back and forth is repetitive. Your life might be repetitive this morning. Same thing every day. Back and forth. Get up, go to work, come back home. Tuesday, get up, Fight traffic, go to work, and guess what after? 
go back home. Back and forth. As a pastor, I go through back and forth. Prepare a message. Preach the message. And guess what I'm doing on Tuesday? Guess. Preparing a message to do what on Sunday? Preach the message to do what on Tuesday? Prepare back and forth. Repetitive. Routine. Back and forth represents disappointment. Because just when you get, when you think you're getting ahead and you're moving forward, guess what happens? You're back. Back and forth. And people hate back and forth. That's why people get divorced. It's why people move. It's why people change jobs. It's why people have affairs. It's why people run and find something exciting because we do not like the repetitive routine motion of life. We want more. We want different. We want change. We want excitement. And God says, you have that in you, but I got to put you through back and forth. Maybe you're back and forth through life. Nothing changes. Maybe, can I get real? Maybe you're back and forth with sin. God, I'm sorry. Man, I did it again. God, this is the last time. God, I'm sorry. Back and forth with sin. You're back and forth in your marriage. And just when they said, honey, I'm sorry, and things were getting better, now you got to do it again, huh? And you're back and forth. Back and forth with your children. Do your homework. Why haven't you done your homework? Do your homework. Clean your room. Why haven't you cleaned your room? Back and forth. Back and forth. Back and forth. I don't want to. You have to. Why? Because I told you why. I'm your mother. Why? Back and forth with children. Got to go to church. I don't want to go to church. You're going to church. Why? Why do I got to go to church? Because you're going to go to hell. Oh, no, you don't say that to your children. But you back and forth. On the way up here, back and forth to church, back and forth with relationships. Back and forth. I thought he was the one. Now I'm back to being single. And now I'm finding this person. Now I'm back to being single. Back and forth. It's so discouraging. Back and forth is not only discouraging, back and forth can be very deceitful. Because if you're not careful, when you're in a season of going back and forth, you tend to think that you're not anointed. You tend to think that God is not with you. You tend to think that God has forgotten you. You tend to think that nothing's going to change. Because if God was with me, everything would be different. But God is not always doing that. Sometimes God puts us through a season of back and forth. And He's still with you. But you're just going back and forth. And you're still anointed. But you're still going back and forth. And God's going to change it. But right now you have to go back and forth. And it's dangerous because you can settle with a mindset that it's not going to change. It's not going to get better. You don't have the favor of God. You don't have the anointing of the Lord. God is not in this. Why? Because you're back and forth. And as David was anointed to be king, right after that anointing, the Bible says he was back and forth. When I read that, I got sad, not excited. I said, wait a minute. What, what if our church is going through a back and forth? Man, we've been through a back and forth. We found a location, had to move. Found another location, had to move. Remember that back and forth? Back and forth. And then the Lord reminded me, throughout the Bible, 
The people we look up to, the people that we saw God work in, the miracles that we read about, all of these things, that amazing thing God did in the lives of our heroes in the Bible, you don't realize this, but every person that God did a mighty work in went through a season of back and forth first. Let me prove it to you. We all look at for example, Moses, and we look at the nation of Israel as they were about to cross, they reached a dead end at the Red Sea, and all of a sudden, you read that Moses raises his staff, and the sea opens up, and they go through, and God shuts the sea, and it drowns Pharaoh and all the enemies, and they're worshiping, and God is great. You've heard that story? Let me tell you how it really happened. Right before that amazing miracle we get excited about, God told Moses, go back and around so that Pharaoh will think you have been lost. I want Pharaoh to think you're lost and wandering. So I need you to go back and forth so it motivates him to attack. You see, and God says, before I can get you through this, i got to put you through back and forth. And that's when Pharaoh came to attack. Only after they went through a season of back and forth. How many of you knew that story? No, no, no. We like the miracles, right? But read it tonight. God told Moses, go back and forth. And then I'll work a miracle. A man named Naaman, he had leprosy. Sick, dying, and he knew God could heal him. And Elijah tells him, yeah, go to the Jordan River and wash yourself seven times and you'll be healed. And there's Naaman. And guess what? Did God do it right away? No. He had to dip himself seven times. One, back up. Two, back up. Three, what do you call that church? Back and forth. When's God going to do it? Any changes? No. Okay, i got to go again. Right about? No, still the same. Still the same. Back down under. See, back and forth. But the seventh time, God healed him. We look at the healing, we forget the back and forth. We look at Jericho and the walls came down. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. And if you hit a wall in life, God's going to bring it down. Read the story. Read the story. Could God have done that the first day? But what did He tell Him to do? Go around. Go around. Back and forth. Same thing. And right before God did it, God said, go around seven more times. Because seven is the number in the Bible of completion. And before God can complete the plan He has for your life, He puts you through a repetitive motion of back and forth. Am I preaching this morning? Back and forth. Then the walls came down. Oh, we look at Peter. I can go all morning. We look at Peter and oh, he got an abundance of fish and God's going to do that. God's going to bless you just when you think it's empty. God's going to fill your net. Whoa! No. What did Peter tell Jesus? I've been fishing all night. And you know what's interesting? The type of fishing he did was called dragnet fishing. And when you're dragnet fishing, you literally throw a net over the water and you go back and forth. So he was telling Jesus, I've been back and forth all night, buddy. And Jesus says, one more time. Then the miracle happened. You look at Noah. This is my last one. Literally, I can do this all morning. You see how Noah saved his family. Noah saved the day. Noah survived the flood. And everyone else got destroyed. But when you serve God, you're going to make it. Say amen. You're going to make it right now. Wait. Noah was drifting. We talk about 40 days of rain. Listen. 
We don't talk about the, plus, the one year plus of drifting. Drifting. Going nowhere. What are you doing, God? And Moses, I mean, sorry, Noah kept waiting for God to give him the okay, the green light, to get out of this ark because we've been drifting for a year and my kids are driving me crazy. You try being one year with your family in the same boat. Tell me how Christian you come out. But Noah, he, ha- he got a little plan. He says, I got a plan. I- I'm going to get a little bird. I'm going to let him out the window. And if he comes back, he trained a bird. That's how long he was drifting. He trained a bird to retrieve. I'm going to let the bird out the window. And if he doesn't come back, I know it's because he found land. So Noah gets up one morning. Picture this. He gets the bird and he says, we've been working on this. We've been training for this. So if you don't come back, I know there's land. He opens the window and he goes, go! Look at Genesis 8-7. He sent out the raven. And it kept flying back. And what? Meaning what? No change. No land. And every day he let that bird out. Every day the bird came back, back and forth. Because God was telling Noah, I'll tell you when it's time. But every day, that stupid bird came back. Letting him know nothing's changed. Same old flood. You're going to drift another day back and forth. How do you survive the back and forth? Some of you are going back and forth right now. And in your mind, maybe you've settled. Nothing's going to change. Maybe in your mind, you're thinking wrong thoughts about God. He's forgotten me. He's abandoned me. It's over. Maybe you think, I'm just going to stop asking God. I'm going to stop praying for this because nothing's changed, Pastor. I'm back and forth. I'm back and forth. Some of you sound like River. You just want to cry right now. You're saying, Pastor, that's me. I'm just crying. I'm tired of going back and forth. How do you survive? I want to teach you how to survive the season of back and forth if you're in it. By using cheese. Because this is a block of cheese, right? And this is a cheese grater. And when you get this cheese... You pull it on the grater and begin to grind. And what's my hand doing? Back and forth. This is what God does in our lives. You're going back and forth through life, back and forth in your marriage, back in life through work, back in life with your sickness, back in life with these problems, back and forth, back and forth. Nothing changes. But here's what I want you to know. How do you survive the back and forth season? You have to know that like this cheese, even though it's going back and forth, I never let it go. And if you're going back and forth through life, you have to believe God still has His hand upon you. God is still working. And here's the tough part. In the surface, you don't see anything but a mess. So as I'm going through the grind, how many are going through the grind right now? Our country's going through the grind, is it not? We go through the grind as a church. You're going through the grind right now. You're going to wake up to go to the, to literally to work and got to go back to the what? Back to the grind. And that's what life is like. But see, in the surface, you don't see much but mess. 
And that's what happens in life. Right now you're going back and forth and you don't see anything in your life but mess. But underneath the surface, something's happening. God is preparing something. Change is happening. But what you see is just the surface problems. Nothing's changed. God, God, are you even in this right now? God, it feels like you've abandoned us. God, I'm just back and forth. I don't know if I'm going to keep praying for it because it's back and forth. God, I don't know if I'm going to believe for it. I'm back and forth. And you're just going back and forth through life and everything looks messy. But the entire time, I promise you, church, God has not taken His hand of blessing and favor off you. It's still holding you. But you have to believe that underneath the surface of all your mess and all your problems in life, God is preparing something far more than you can think, ask, or imagine according to Ephesians 3.20. God is doing something mighty in your life. But see, the devil wants you to believe that God has not, God has not blessed you. You're going to go through this forever. You're going to grind with this for life. See, right now, maybe you are going through the grind. But as Christians, we're called to not only look at the surface problems, but know that underneath everything I'm going through, God is preparing something greater. You have to believe this for yourself. You have to believe this for your life. We have to believe this for our church. As we go through the grind in life, and you're going through the grind at home, and you're going through the grind at work, and you're grinding to survive, and you're going and you're going and going against the grind, and the surface, everything looks hopeless. Everything looks messy. But you have to know without a doubt that God says, I will never leave you, nor abandon you, forsake you. I'm still holding on to you. But the reason you've lost faith, the reason you're discouraged, the reason you stop asking God for it, the reason you stop believing for it, is because you are only looking at the surface. And when you look at the surface of things in your life, no wonder you're going to get discouraged. Because you have forgotten a God that works in the realm of the kingdom which is unseen. So in your eyes, all you see is mess and nothing happening. But what if underneath the surface of all your problems, God's just preparing something better? That's how you survive the season of back and forth. You keep believing for more. You keep believing for greater. Because even though David went back and forth, the anointing was still on him. And as children of God, there is a special anointing over your life. You are not like the world that doesn't know Jesus. When you know Jesus Christ, you are anointed. His favor is on you. And you don't believe through the surface of things. You believe in the realm of the kingdom of God who does miracles in the unseen. That's why you might watch the news and in the surface, the entire world is falling apart. But you can stand here with confidence knowing God's favor is still on us. God's favor is on our lives. You know, Danny, my brother, got reports that they were going to start cutting off hours and, and people were going to work less at a time where money is most needed right now. But for some reason, Danny's hours were not cut. In fact, he got more overtime. 
How do you, ex- how do you explain that? Because underneath the surface, you are a child of God. And God does not operate in the surface of the world. So what? Inflation's up. Do you not have the favor of God? So what? There's trouble at work. Do you not have the favor of God? If you are a child of God, the anointing rests upon you. But just because you're anointed does not mean you're not, you're not going to just go through the back and forth. You're going to leave this church this morning still going through the grind. But I want you to change your outlook on the grind. Knowing that in the surface it looks messy, but underneath it all, my Father, my God, my King is working something mighty. And we look at the life of David. He was able to defeat this giant because the Bible says in verse 45 and 46, as David faced Goliath, David said, you're coming, you come to me in sword and spears and javelins, physical weapons, but I'm coming up against you in the name of what? The Lord. That's how we know David recognized the anointing of God in his life. Because even though he went up against something greater than him, he went up against something bigger than him. He went up against something that was impossible for him. He went up against it with confidence, knowing the Lord was with him. Because when you know you have the anointing of God, you can go up against anything. So when things come up against you, you don't say, I got this. That's pride. You stand up with confidence and say, how dare you touch God's anointed. I'm not scared of this. I'm anointed. I don't care who's president. I'm anointed. I don't care how much gas is. I do. I don't care how much eggs are. I'm anointed. I don't care about what happens in my life. I don't know what I'm you're up against. It might be bigger, greater, stronger than you. You might be facing something beyond your ability to fix. But do you not recognize the anointing of God in your life? When you are anointed, His favor is upon you. And we see David defeat this giant. And we see David, when Goliath fell, the Bible says that Goliath did not fall back. He fell forward. Interesting. Because usually when you get hit like that, you just fall back. But Goliath fell forward because God was letting David know when you are anointed, the problems you will overcome will bow down to you. And all of these surface issues in your life will bow down to you because you are a child of God. But did you know, church, that David almost missed it? David almost missed the call of God in his life. David almost missed his destiny. David was at risk of never becoming king. There was one incident that took place, and it's not Bathsheba because he was already king. But there was an incident that took place that we bypassed. That had David given, we would never have a David and Goliath story. You don't know what that is? Verse 28. 29 through 30. Let's read this together. Verse 28. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking, David now went to the battlefield. Eliab burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep with? 
I know how conceited you are. I know how wicked your heart is. And you came down only to watch the battle. Notice what David asked. Now what have I done? Can I even speak? Now hold that verse. Don't take that verse away. David went out to the battlefield. This is where he would be introduced to Goliath. This is where he would defeat Goliath. This is where Saul would take notice of him. This is where David would get an internship at the palace. This is the open door, the foot in, the opportunity of a lifetime that would elevate him to the destiny God had for him. But right before David fought Goliath, there was another fight happening. And that was between his brother. His brother insulted him, Iliad insulted him. Iliad wrongly accused him. Iliad was stirring up drama, pushing David's button, insulting him. Who have you left those few sheep with? Laughing at him, pushing him, provoking him, insulting him. And David asked, what have I done now? Meaning this was not the first time. But David did something in verse 30 that changed the course of his life. He turned away. He turned away. Come on, say that with me. He turned away. Knock your neighbor out. Tell him, he turned away. He turned away. See, had David been sensitive? Had David been easily offended? He would have stood up and tried to prove himself to Iliad. My heart's not wicked. I don't have that little sheep, do I? You're just jealous. You're just, and he would have been bickering back and forth with him. And he would have been fighting with Iliab. And you notice that if he would have wasted his time fighting Iliab, Goliath would have just completely gone out and left. And that's scary to me. Because anything what David teaches us is that there are some people in your life that aren't worth going back and forth with. There are some people in your life that can cost you your destiny. Let's break it down. Can I preach this morning? You might get offended by this. You can email me, mypastordave at gmail.com. And I promise you, I will not respond. All right. So, let me, let me just be real with you. Some people are not worth your time. (gasps) But we're Christians. We're called to help everyone. Let me say it again. Some people are not worth your time. Thank you, sister. David turned away. David said, I'm going to choose my battles and you're not one of them. Ooh, that's good. David said, I'm not going to battle this one. I'm going to battle what matters. And as a Christian, you have to choose your battles wisely. And little Eliab came up all mad and grumpy and offensive and trying to hurt David. And David turned away and said, not my battle. Not my battle. Not my, I'm not, wait, <laughs> oh, not my battle. Come on, say it with me. Not my battle. Not my battle. Not worth your time. Some people are not worth your happiness. Some people are not worth your energy. And if you're over 60, you don't have energy left. Stop wasting it. I'm preaching truth. No, it's truth. 
You're anointed by God and icy hot. <laughs> and I know because it's me. I got to put some on to preach sometime. I'm like, oh, not worth your energy. Some people are not worth your peace. You're in danger of missing out God's best for your life because you're wasting your time on other people that don't matter. Yeah, life is back and forth, but there are some people God's never called you to go back and forth with. They're not worth the fight. Turn away. And as I matured as a pastor, I had to learn this the hard way. There have been people that have come and gone from this church that I can do nothing about. And I'm going to waste my energy on you who want to be here. Some people are not worth the fight. You're wasting your fight trying to change someone that's not going to change. You're wasting going back and forth with someone that's not going to change. No, pastor, I can change them. No, you can't. You're wasting your time doing something nice, doing all these nice things for someone that's not going to appreciate it. You're wasting your time trying to be a friend to someone that doesn't want your friendship. Let's get deeper, ready? You're trying to love someone that's not going to marry you. You're trying to help someone that doesn't want to be helped. You're trying to teach someone that doesn't want to listen. Some people are not worth going back and forth with. Some people are not worth the battle. Some people God has called you not, not to fight with. This is the sad part of this story. Life is a grind. But there are some people that aren't worth the grind. Verse 17. We'll close with this one. Jesse said to his son, take this ephah of roasted grain and ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to the camp. And David's father also said, would you bring some cheese as well? So David, before he was king, was delivering cheese. So he, little David, little brother David, left the sheep and said, yes, dad, I'll do it. He was obedient to the father. And he said, I- I'm going to go and I'm going to give her the bread and I'm going to give the cheese and I'm going to provide and I'm going to make sure my brothers are okay because David had a good heart. And David came and he said, guys, I brought you bread. I brought you grain. Here's some water. I came to help you. Hey, are you okay, guys? Do you need anything? You ever met someone like that? Servant spirit? loving heart just doing what he was told to do and David was there serving and giving and giving let me ask you this church because we're smart did David ever get a thank you from him what did he get in return a battle You imagine how hurt David was as he brought the bread and he was giving and serving and they in turn, Eliab looked around and said, look at you, you're so conceited. Who have you left those little sheep with? You're nobody. You're here only because you want to watch. You're not even a warrior. Little did he know David had a warrior in him. And that's maybe you today. You're back and forth trying to help someone, trying to love someone, trying to change someone, trying, trying, and working so hard, and in return, 
you get drama. No appreciation, no thank you, no love back. And this is not that sermon where I tell you, you just got to keep trying. No, this is a sermon that's going to change all of that and say, some people are not worth it. First Samuel 16 and 6 through 7 shows us what was wrong. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab. Remember, Eliab, the oldest, was the one that was fighting him. And they thought Eliab was the one. And if Samuel thought Eliab was the one, you better believe Eliab thought he was the one. But God bypassed him. When he arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. And Eliab must have been, <laughs> I know. But the Lord said to Samuel, pay attention. Don't consider his appearance, his height, for I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at what? The heart. And here's where I want to draw this point. Eliab was ungrateful. Eliab had a confrontational spirit about him. Eliab was hating on David because he was bitter. He was jealous. But God made it clear. Eliab does not have the right heart. And there are some people you're going to try to change and love and give and serve and do so much for. But I promise you, church, if they have the wrong heart, you're wasting your time. If their heart is not right with God, that's what God said, His heart is not right with me. And if their heart is not right with God, there is nothing you can do. You're wasting your time and they are not worth the battle. Because only God is in the business of changing hearts. And I don't just want to say this because you're going to know the pastor says I shouldn't love them. No, listen to me. Let me prove to you in Scripture that some fights are not yours. In 2 Chronicles chapter 2015, just one verse to shut this down. 2 Chronicles. 2015. I'll go there. He said, listen to Jehoshaphat who was facing a massed army against him. And Jehoshaphat didn't know what to do. And Jehoshaphat fell on his knees and he prayed and he said, Lord, what do I do about this fight? What do I do about this battle? Lord, I need help. I don't know what to do. Listen, King Jehoshaphat, all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours. Say that with me. The battle is not yours. Which tells me that there are some battles God has never called you to fight. There are some people God has not called you to change, to save, to heal. What do you do when you're trying And you're grinding and you're trying and trying, going back and forth, but there's no change, nothing's happening. God says, that battle that you're fighting with that person, it's not yours. It's mine. They have a bad heart. And God says, let me fight that battle. Let me take care of that. Let me take care of that. What if you're fighting a losing battle? And what is a losing battle? A losing battle is any battle God has never called you to fight. 
And that's when you got to get your boots on and say, Lord, I've tried. I've worn them. I've taught them. I've raised them. I've loved them. I've served them. I've been there for them. I've helped them. But Lord, they're still doing the same thing. They haven't changed. We're going back and forth all the time. They're still angry. Nothing's happening, Lord. I'm tired of trying. And what if God says to you in a small voice, it's not your fight. You're going back and forth with something or someone God's never told you to. The battle belongs to the Lord. So you have to surrender that situation to God. You have to surrender that child to the Lord. You have to surrender that spouse to God. You have to surrender that friend upon to the Lord. And you don't know how hard it is for me to teach this because the common thing to preach in church is you never give up on people. But that's not biblical. You're not giving up on them. You're giving them up to the Lord. There's a difference. But like David, you have to learn to turn away and say, not my battle. I'm going to fight things that matter. And it's a win-win because God says, stop wasting your time. Trust me. And the battles I've called you to fight, you're not going to fight alone. You're going to stand with me. That's why David fought Goliath, the battle he had to fight. But David knew he was anointed and said, God is with you. Is that not a win-win? God says, I'm going to give you peace when you surrender that person to me. And I'm still going to give you peace if you're having to fight a battle that I've called you to fight. But you're anointed. You're my child. And I'm going to fight for you. So why are you fighting? You came to this church this morning, grinding, tired. It's nice in here, but it's a battle out there. Church, you're anointed. You're fighting battles that God has called you to fight. But you're not fighting alone. But I pity those people that are fighting battles that God never called them to fight. And it's time for you to trust God and let it go. That's why God told Jehoshaphat, don't be afraid and don't be discouraged. God narrowed it down to those two things. Why? Because sometimes you're thinking, well, I'm afraid to just trust God because what if it doesn't work? What if it doesn't happen? And God says, don't be afraid. Would you just trust this battle with me? And then God says, don't be discouraged because sometimes when you know you can't change a situation or you can't change a person, discouragement sets in and tells you you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're not wise enough, you're not spiritual enough. But no, you shouldn't be discouraged. There is nothing discouraged by telling God, I can't fight this anymore. There is nothing discouraging about that. If anything, that is one of the bravest things a child of God can confess to the Lord. I can't fight this anymore. And God says, good, because I never asked you to. Turn away. Trust me, David. And I've learned this as a pastor. People that I've grinded with Counseling, reading the Bible, teaching, praying for, helping, serving, trying, 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 and no change. Wasting my time, my energy, my strength. And I had to learn years after as I ministry the discipline of letting God deal with the hearts of people. And if I learned it, you better learn it too. The fight is not yours. Turn away. Come on, preach this with me. Turn to your neighbor right now. Really turn to them. Look at them. And say, why are you fighting? Turn away. Let's all stand. As you go back and forth. And I want you to do this, not for me, but for the Lord. 
if you're back and forth right now, grinding it out, and in the surface, things look messy, and you're tired, or maybe the Lord just boop your heart, just a little touch, and said, He's talking to you. Stop fighting with them. And turn away. Let me deal with them. If you're fighting not just a person, but you're fighting a situation that you have to turn away and turn over to God. I want you to leave this church knowing the battle is not yours. The battle belongs to the Lord. And you are a child of God, anointed. So I want you to come to this altar like Jehoshaphat did. The Bible says he came to the altar of God and laid it all out. Come on, church. If you're fighting this battle, back and forth, you're saying, Pastor, I'm back and forth in life, marriage, bills, children, stress, health, tired people, back and forth, back and forth. You come to this altar and pray. And maybe you're here this morning, you're saying, Pastor, I don't know if I'm a child of God. I don't know if I'm anointed. Well, that's why Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, so that he who repents of his sins and believes in Christ, you will become, not only saved, but you will become a child of God and anointed. And that offer stands for you here today. And if that's you, I want you to come forward as well and say, Lord, I want to make you the Lord of my life. But I want you guys to also pray with me and help me pray for our church. These are tough times. Giving's down. Attendance is down. We're grinding, serving, teaching, praying. Things are going to get worse, they said. But I believe this church is anointed. And this church fights battles you don't even know about. And we have soldiers in this church that are fighting things you don't even know. But I want you to help me as a church today. And if you call it Forward Fellowship, your home church, would you come to this altar as well and we can pray together as we fight for our ministry, fight for our lives, fight for the family, marriages, the people, the children. You fight as we pray together. As we pray for the battle we're in. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name and no other name, we are your children, we are called upon you, we are anointed. The anointing stands with us in spite of any battle we're in. Your hand of favor is upon us, your blessing, your protection, your miracles. And Father, we feel like that block of cheese sometimes, back and forth, grinding it out. And in the surface of things, nothing's happening. In the surface of things, it looks messy. But I believe, Lord, in the unseen realm of your spiritual kingdom, underneath the surface, you are working, you are preparing, you are doing something mighty, not only for our church ministry and our church, but for the people in this church, Lord. So I pray in Jesus' name for the battle that's not ours to be surrendered upon you right now. I pray for every family, every child, every marriage, every single person, every person that is in the grind, battling, messy right now, Lord. Wondering, are you done? Are you finished? Is it over? Should I stop trying? Should I stop believing? Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, like Goliath, there is no battle greater than you. So, Father, we surrender upon you the fight that is not ours. So right now, would you just turn away and say, Lord, this is your battle. Forgive me for fighting it. Whatever that is, the Lord knows that you know what it is. Surrender that to the Lord today. 
And Father, we just thank you for this word today. And Father, we know that underneath the surface, you're working. So we surrender to you our lives, our vision, our dreams. And we thank you for the anointing. Help us leave this church today knowing we are anointed children of God. And when the fight is too much, let us know it's not worth it. We surrender it upon you. We surrender our country upon you, our nation, our church, our lives. For the battle is not ours, so forgive us, Lord, for making it our fight when it was always yours. And like David, I pray that you would lead us to your greatness, your destiny, and the vision you've implanted in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, give God some praise today. I hope you guys are blessed today.